now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA from Alaska to Florida, all the way to Hawaii. We are broadcasting today from the Cape, 1550 AM, 100.3 FM here in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. This is another in our series of shows we are doing with St. Francis Health System here in Cape Girardeau throughout Southeast Missouri. And as I've told you before, we do run these shows nationally. And the reason for that is because we have a series of doctors, clinicians, and experts that come on and talk about various healthcare issues. Today, we're going to talk about home health care and hospice. I think you're going to find this to be an interesting show. You know, there are about 10,000 people a day turning 65, and those people, many of them have parents who are much older than that. So this is a topic that's very important, and a lot of people have to deal with this. Sometimes they're not quite prepared, so that's one of the purposes of doing a show like this today. Our producer, Mr. Paul Vernon, I'm your host, Carrie Hall. As we always say, this is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. 294 affiliates strong, our newest one in Cannon, Colorado. Also, all of these shows are on podcast platforms, TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Play. So we've got about three to 4,000 people a month going up there to listen to these shows. This is one of those shows that if you hear it, maybe there's somebody in your family or in your church or somebody you know who's dealing with an issue, with a parent or a loved one that's, that's having issues, this is a great way to have them go back up and listen to that show on those podcast platforms. So again, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Play, um, Odyssey Play, they're all up there on those podcast platforms. If you want to reach out to me, you can do that. The website is healthradio.us, healthradio.us. We get a lot of emails. I answer each and every one of them. I do not answer each and every one of them the same day. So it takes me a little while sometimes, but I do get back to you if you want to reach out to me at that website, healthradio.us. All right. Joining me in studio, Larry Dush, RNBSN, patient care manager of St. Francis Home Health, and Melissa Hale, MSW, LCSW, patient care manager, St. Francis Hospital. Thank you both for being here today. Thank Good you. morning. I know you're both busy. You just got back from a cruise. I did. I did. So you're tan, rested, and ready today. I'm trying. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit about our guest. Um, Larry Dush uh, is an RNBSN, serves as patient care manager for St. Francis Home Health. He is responsible for the delivery of care to all patients served by Home Health, as well as instructing and guiding clinicians to promote more effective performance and delivery of quality home health care services. Dush joined St. Francis Healthcare System starting in 2019 as a registered nurse for home health care in June of 21. With 21 years of home health care experience, Dush has transitioned to the role of interim director of home health and hospice before becoming the patient care manager of home health. Melissa Hale is an MSW LCSW, serves as patient care manager for St. Francis Hospice. She is responsible for maintaining the supervision and direction of skilled nursing, spiritual counseling, pastoral care, social services, volunteers, hospice aid, and other therapeutic services services within the hospice department. Hale joined St. Francis Healthcare System in January 2015. With more than 10 years of experience working in home health hospice, Hale received her Bachelor of Science in Social Work from Southeast University and her Master's Degree in Social Work from St. Louis U. That is a mouthful. You're both very qualified. Yes. And you're busy because home health had 7,032 visits last year and hospice had 9,486. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yes. It is a lot of work. So, Larry, talk, explain the difference between home health and hospice. 
Uh, home health is a more curative or rehabil re rehabilitative service uh, focus. So we really go into a home and what we try to do is we try to help those patients recover from whatever disease process they're experiencing. Uh, we take care of their wounds, uh, their IV needs, should they need IVs. Uh, basically trying to get them back to their maximal level of functioning. We offer physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy as well. Uh, deal with a lot of CVA patients, patients who've had strokes. Um, hospice, they're the symptom management experts. They're really, really good at what they do. They're actually angels. Uh, I've had family members in hospice. She does have wings, so I'm just <laughs> yeah. putting that out. I've, I've actually had family members in hospice as well as I've seen some hospice patients, but it is, I'm not a hospice nurse. Um, but they really manage patients uh, nearing the end of their life. And not just the patients, but they deal with the case, uh, the, sorry, the caregivers. Uh, they deal with spiritual needs. They deal with socioeconomic needs. Um, they deal with everything to try to make that patient's end-of-life experience the best that it can. They add quality to the patient's life. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I mentioned before we went on the air that I've got some experience in this area because my father-in-law, mother-in-law, my father and my mother have all passed, and we had hospice involved in their care all the way through. Um, and it does make an enormous difference. It also takes a huge burden off the family that are trying to be caregivers at the same time. So it, it, is, um, it is a very necessary service. And as I said in the opening remarks, there are 10,000 people that turning 65 I'm 73. My parents aren't alive now, but uh, they were eight, nine, ten years ago. And having the knowing that these services are there and that St. Francis is providing these services, I think, is important. So, Melissa, talk a little bit about what patients are qualified um, uh, for uh, for hospice care. What what what, what is it? Uh, because a lot of people, I think, have the conception that you absolutely have to be terminal to qualify for hospice care. Is that true? I mean, you have to have a terminal diagnosis, and okay. you're willing not to seek any more life um, treatment. So that would be like chemotherapy if you're not seeking chemotherapy. Um, our goal is to give you quality at your home, your home environment. Um, it doesn't have to be cancer. A lot of individuals think with hospice, oh, well, I don't have cancer. It's not true. It's a CHF, COPD, AIDS, renal failure, uh, Alzheimer's, strokes, or any life-limiting life illnesses that qualify for hospice. That, that's, that's interesting to me, and strokes as well. So Alzheimer's and strokes, and mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is extremely difficult um, because the issue, the burden that comes back on the caregiver at home. So how do you interact whenever you've got somebody that's got Alzheimer's? They are terminal mm -hmm. um, because Alzheimer's is an end-of-life disease oftentimes. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that and interact with the family in that case? You know, with hospice, a lot of our education is more with the family than it is the patient. So... It's, you know, how to, how to provide that quality and understanding that they're not going to eat the way that you and I eat. So allowing them to have, you know, if they only want a few bites, that's okay. You know, it's a lot of education with the family that their, their disease process is different. And um, like I said, it's a lot of education with the family on how to support them through the end of life. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because that that's not the first thing that comes to mind. The first mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind is that you're there maybe to take care of daily needs with the patient, sure. you know, to bathe them, mm -hmm. maybe help feed them, check their meds, whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. But when you think about that, mm -hmm. um, that really is probably a, a 
critical part of what goes on. If the family doesn't know what to do, it makes it more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. And people typically don't know what to do, right? They do not. And that's where our team is great. I mean, that, their focus is on, on the education piece. So we spend a lot more time with the families than we do with the patients to make sure that they have everything that they need, all the education they need to provide that care to the patient. Yeah, and evidently you're doing an awful lot of it because I said you had 9,486 visits. How many people in your department? That's a lot of visits throughout this whole area of Mm -hmm. southeast Missouri. Right now we have 11, uh, 11 staff, including myself, but that's not including home health. We kind of team up. So a lot of home health patients transfer to hospice. So it's a great working relationship that we have between the two departments. So oftentimes, Larry, they'll start out with home health. And then as they, as they, I would say, progress, I don't know if that's a correct word or not, but as they progress and move toward the end of life, Alzheimer's, stroke, some of these things, mm-hmm. then that's where you hand it off, off to, the, to the hospice people. Yes, our staff's been educated to look for those patients that qualify for hospice, that have the right diagnosis, have the right uh, life conditions. And so they know that when we go out and see this patient, immediately they know to start thinking, hey, this person really does need hospice. We do it with a lot of our dementia patients, especially our cancer patients. Uh, because when we pick up cancer patients, a lot of times it'll be like, I want to make it to September the 15th for my son's wedding. And then after that, I want to transition to hospice. So a lot of times home health is a stopgap measure just to keep that person managed during that period of time to where we can get them to transition to a hospice situation and they get the care they need. Yeah, you know, and as we're coming up here on the break, I, I, I would imagine it's also important that you set realistic parameters for people about what they can and they can't do, what, what they can expect and what, because I think sometimes that's very difficult for people and for families, am I right? Yes, some nurses have a little trouble and some physicians also have trouble going and having that conversation with those people and saying, look, I'm sorry, but here's the reality of your situation and this is what we can do to give you a better quality of life. And that's really what this is all about, isn't it, Melissa? Mm-hmm. A better it quality of life for these people Absolutely. as they come to end of life. Absolutely. When we come back from the break, we're going to continue this fascinating conversation. If you want to learn more about St. Francis Home Health and Hospice, you can do that at the website sfmc.net slash homehealthhospice sfmc.net slash homehealthhospice. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We've got more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website healthradio.us, healthradio.us. My producer, the always perfect Mr. Paul Vernon. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Thank you for joining us again today. In studio with me today, Lawrence Dush, patient care manager, St. Francis Home Health, and Melissa Hale, patient care manager of St. Francis Hospice. We're happy to have them here. Obviously, the topic of the show is home health and hospice. Again, you know, we're broadcasting here in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, uh, at, 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 from the Cape Radio, 1550 AM. Yet we're broadcasting this all over the country. And if you're wondering why I'm doing that, because this is a chance. You've got two experts here that are talking about a topic that's very difficult. You heard, you know, Larry mentioned this a minute ago. It's difficult for a lot of people uh, to deal with this. And, and what we're trying to do is explain to you that, you know, here in southeast Missouri, St. Francis Healthcare System provides these services, but 
across the country, this is something people have to deal with. And you've got a chance here to listen and learn from these folks who are experts in their field. So, Larry, let's talk about how did they know when it's uh, we think we have a problem. We're not sure how it's causing problems. Um, You know, dad's trying to take care of mom, you know, whatever the case may be. And how how do they know when? When is the time that they want to think about reaching out uh, uh, to you all and, and seeing, do we need to get somebody in here? Do we qualify? How does all that work? We have a lot of conversations with patients and their caregivers. Um, they just call us and they'll say, this is what's going on with my loved one. And do they qualify for home health or should we look at hospice? So that helps when the person on the phone knows what the qualifying uh, conditions are. So hospice and home health have totally different qualifying conditions. Uh, Medicare has set five specific qualifications for um, home health admission. The first thing they have to have is a doctor. The doctor has to be willing to go and order the home health care. We can't just go out and see them without that. Also, the physician has to manage the plan of care, uh, the interventions and the goals that we set for those patients. Uh, They have to have an intermittent skilled service need if they're going to be in home health. So that would be physical therapy, speech therapy. Uh, We do a lot of wound care. We take care of a lot of patients with IVs in the home. That's a really important thing. We do a lot of certain types of injections uh, are covered under the Medicare benefit as well. Um, And just interesting fact, private insurance pretty much just follows whatever Medicare says. So what I'm saying now goes for private insurance as well as Medicare patients. So if they have a Medicare, they have Medicare Part B, they've got A and B, they signed up for either paying for B. Now maybe they've got a Medicare Advantage plan or they've got a Medicare Supplement plan. that those guidelines basically follow whatever the protocol is for Medicare. Correct. If you qualify for one, then it's going to qualify with the carrier. It's not an issue of jumping through a lot of hoops to get to that. Correct. It's like an automatic qualification. Right. That's exactly correct. So, you know, if people are in doubt about that, how do they, what do you suggest they do in terms of, you know, we're not quite sure, um, you know, if maybe the doctor hasn't recommended it, yet they're dealing with things at home. Maybe the doctor's not even aware of, you know, what's going on that, that, that may be issues for them. So a lot of times we act as an advocate for those patients. Uh, we will go in and we will uh, talk to the patient. If We will make a courtesy visit or we can do it over the phone. We get all the data, all the information, gather it, and then go back and call the physician and say, listen, your patient has reached out to us. They feel they have a need. We assess them. We really think they do have a need. And is home health something that you would consider ordering for them? And then they would say yes or they would say no. Or if we get there and I'm like, uh, listen, I'm really sorry, but... Uh, you know, you're not going to do a lot of times the patients are self-determined that because they're like, I'm not doing any more treatments. I'm not going back to the emergency room. I don't want any more interventions. I don't want dialysis. I don't want chemotherapy. I don't want radiation. If that's the case, then that's when we say, you know, you're more uh, appropriate for a hospice referral. And then hospice will do the same thing. They'll reach out to the physician and say, we need an order for hospice. And, and then once the patient's admitted to hospice, their medical director will take over the care. So then, you, you know, staying on the topic of home health for a minute, you mentioned ER. So, you know, this is interesting. My wife broke her leg in Hawaii on a vacation three years ago, um, and it was a nightmare getting home. But one of the things that we had was we had home health care. So when they came and, you know, they they changed dressings, they did all these other things. They also did physical therapy. Yes. They checked her meds. So th- it's not necessarily people that are that are that are end of life or even approaching end of life. It could be somebody that fell and broke a hip. Yeah, for uh, home it could health, be somebody that has a stroke and they're recovering. Yes, maybe. sir. Home so health a, again. Home health focuses on rehabilitation and curative. We are not end of life. Hospice is end of life, and home health. So hip. Uh, 
hip replacements, knee replacements, uh, broken bones, as you said, multiple vehicle accidents, car accidents. We get a lot of those patients that have wound care, uh, new ostomy patients. If a, a patient gets a new ostomy, there's a lot of education. Diabetes is a really huge thing for us. We do a lot of diabetic teaching, diabetic management. Uh, in this community especially, that's a really big diagnosis. A, a lot of our people in this area, our patients uh, have diabetes. And so we are a supplement to the education they get from the diabetic educators or from their physicians. And we actually go out, man, we cannot really manage their meds, but we can educate them on how to manage their meds. So you mentioned diabetes. So type one diabetes has obviously got to be very, very difficult. And that's got to be high on the level of people that you're checking A1Cs, their insulin medications, all the other things that come with that. We actually take care of more diabetes type 2 patients than type 1. Really? Yes, because type 1s, they're more specifically educated. They have to have insulin. They know a lot better management of their diets and what they can and can't eat. A lot of us diabetic type 2 people. You said uh, us. Us, yes. Okay. Some of us right. are not the most compliant patients. And so uh, sometimes we'll go to the Mexican restaurant and fudge and eat a whole basket of chips. Or, you know, it's really good to go eat some ice cream because it's really cold outside. And so those are the kinds of patients that we see on a daily basis that really, really need that education. And it really does help that if you're a person who has that condition, you can one-on-one -on -one with that person and say, look, I know how hard this is because I'm there with you and I'm, I'm doing this. So it's really, really, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It really is. Yeah, it's interesting to listen to you talk because I, yeah, I get the distinct impression that when people are listening to you and you're, you're interacting with them, that it's like you, they can tell that you really care about what you're doing and you really care about these people and you're connecting with them in a personal way that helps them manage the disease, manage the issue they're dealing with, and at the same time, hopefully improve their health. Right. This is definitely a calling, and our organization has a mission that is Christ-focused. I hope that's it's, okay to tell you yeah, that. Yeah, of course it's okay but, uh, to tell you that. It's yes. right in when you walk in that hospital at St. Francis, yes. it's right. right there. Yes, it, our, yeah, our mission is Christ-focused, and so that's, you know, this is a definite mission. This is not a job for me. This is my, this is my um, ministry. This is what I do. I think that I think that speaks volumes. I mean, there's there's not a lot of that out there in the world today, and I think that the community here is very very fortunate. The St. Francis Health System and and what you bring to this community and what you offer to the community, and I, you know, I think it's important for people to hear that. And you know, if they want to reach out to you, they can do that once again uh, through the website. It's sfmc.net/slash/homehealthhospice. So you can go to any of those uh, to that website, reach out there, and uh, connect with Larry or, or his staff, and they will be. Happy happy to help you uh, in any way that they can see if they can be of service to you. When we come back from the break, we're going to kind of dive into hospice here because there's a lot here to cover. Uh, you know, when, when I did the introduction uh, for Melissa, you know, we talked about pastoral care, social services, volunteers, hospice aid, and other therapeutic services. We're going to talk a little bit about that. What, is, what does all that mean? What does all that break down to? And how does that interact with that person or that person's family? So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website healthradio.us, healthradio.us. My producer, Mr. Paul Vernon, I'm your host, Carrie Hall, in studio with me today, Larry Dush, patient care manager of St. Francis Home Health, Melissa Hale, patient care manager of St. Francis Hospice. And again, the purpose of this show is to educate you. You're, you're learning a lot today. It's like drinking out of a fire hose, listening to these guys talk about everything you do and how they do it. Uh, it it's, it's to educate families and, and, and about how to deal with this situation because it happens to almost everybody. Um, uh, and and it, it's difficult a lot of times for families to deal with that. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here today is to educate you. If you want to learn more, if you're here in Southeast Missouri and you want to learn more about St. Francis and how they these programs work, go to the website sfmc.net home health hospice. That's slash home health hospice, sfmc.net slash home health hospice. All right, Melissa, I said going out of that last break that we were going to dive into hospice care. You know, and I use basically your biography here, uh, your bio that was given to me that talked about all these different things. It, because it, I know a little bit about hospice, but I certainly didn't think of all of this. Mm-hmm. So you've got counseling, you've got pastoral care, social services, volunteers, hospice aid, and other therapeutic services. So kind of, let's just kind of break some of that down. Sure. So counseling and pastoral care, what, what does that consist of and how does all that work? You know, um, for the pastoral, we want to make sure there's spiritual needs. You know, hospice isn't just medical. It's their spiritual needs. You know, you know, if they come in and a lot of our patients may not have a faith base and we want to make sure that that piece is also captured. So that's where our chaplains come in and make sure that, you know, when that time comes, that they do have peace. That is our goal. And it's not just the medical pain piece it's the spiritual as well so t- you said chaplains mm-hmm. and obviously this is a catholic hospital and a catholic uh, health care system mm-hmm. so how many other religions do you service with your chaplains whatever religion they are really we so meet, if they're episcopalian or they're methodist or they're baptist or they're jewish whatever it is whatever their spiritual need or what they classify as their spiritual we meet them where they're at that's really remarkable. It that's is. that's 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 quite a task. That's a lot. It is, that's a, it lot is of, a lot on. I was going to say that's a lot of different religions that you're. It uh, is, and they're very well educated in each. And if they don't know, then they ask. I was going to ask you that. So what happens when they don't know? If they do not know, they verbalize it. You know, teach me so I can be there for you for those spiritual needs. And I assume that's that that interaction occurs with the family as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, like I said, hospice isn't just about the patient; it's the whole. The whole family. So, talk a little bit about social services and and, and how that. What what does that represent? What so there is there a social service worker there assigned? To, okay, so mm-hmm. how does that work? So, uh, social workers, their job is to go and assess the home environment. So, do they have insurance? Do they need insurance? Do they need to go from home to a nursing home? Do they need respite services? So, they do more of the social aspect of the home. Um, and also support to the patient, you know, allowing them, you know, we see a lot of the patients are more open with their social workers where they can't talk about their families about the end of life process or what's going on with them internally. So they do have that one-on-one piece with the social worker. So it gives them ability to talk about what's going on that we normally don't say. That's interesting because like, it sounds like it's almost like a safe harbor. Absolutely. Because they're 
the, like you said, this is, I don't want to talk to my daughter about this or my son about mm-hmm. this. It's too difficult for them to do that. Mm-hmm. But that, but that, but that social service worker is there. They mm-hmm. can talk to them about that. Absolutely. So th- this is another interesting thing. If they if they really do need to go to a nursing home because the the, the husband or the wife is the primary caregiver mm-hmm. in the home, you know the kids may they may not live in the same community. People scattered all over this country anymore, mm-hmm. and and. So that's a difficult conversation to have. And oftentimes children are scared to death to have it because parents are typically – the first thing you'll hear out of a parent's mouth oftentimes is, you're not putting me in a nursing home. Correct. So how, how, how do you get over that hurdle? How do, you, how, do, how do they communicate that situation so that they're willing to sit and listen and see this probably is what you really do need to do? Right. On admission, we have those conversations right out of the gate. Okay, if you're not able to provide the care to mom, what is the next step? What What is life going to look like if you can't keep her in a home environment? Are we going to look at a nursing home or an assisted living? And so we have those conversations absolutely right out of the gate. And we kind of take the burden off of the family of having that conversation with their loved one. Let us have that hard conversation. Ah, so you're taking – so – <clears throat> that kind of comes down to, I assume, a lot of that comes down to daily needs, mm-hmm. bathing, Absolutely. feeding. Um, are they ambulatory or are they not ambulatory? Do they need to get to medical appointments? Mm-hmm. And if there aren't people there to do that or they can't handle all mm-hmm. of that, I mean, that, that's 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 a difficult process. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be long-term care. We can do respite. So if the families need a break, we can arrange for short-term stays at the local nursing homes here and Okay, so that's important. So it doesn't have to be – it could be just you're going in there for a week or 10 days Mm -hmm, just to get back on track and maybe – Yeah, and a lot of families, they're like, we're going to go on vacation. We need a break. So we make those arrangements, and we send them to the nursing home. We follow them, and uh, we bring them back home after the loved one has returned. That's remarkable. Yes. So you've got – I see this um, volunteers. You have people that actually volunteer to help you do this? Mm Mm-hmm. The volunteers, um, they go to the home or they bereavement. We have a bereavement program, which is also on here as well. Um, follow up with families, making sure they're good for that 13 months, if not longer. And 13 months. Absolutely. That's a minimum. Yeah. So, yeah. And then sometimes so, longer. So talk, So the bereavement piece is kind of interesting, you know, as you, as you uh, become chronologically challenged like I am. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously it's something you think about. Um, that you know, you, I've been married thirty six years. I mean, mm-hmm. you, when you think about that, how, how difficult that is when you lose a spouse. How, how important is that bereavement piece? Because if they don't have that kind of help, things that can happen that aren't good mm-hmm. as a result of that depression, anxiety, you know, use of alcohol. I mean, you get on the list. It's mm-hmm. not good. Absolutely. And for our, we have a pretty phenomenal bereavement program. Um, we also have a support group second Tuesday of every month, we want families to come. Um, with our bereavement coordinator, you know, family families don't want to talk about the death or how, you know, it's hard to talk with my brother about if, you know, our father was to pass away. But it's easier to talk to a bereavement coordinator and tell stories. So it's an uncomfortable conversation to have or that they are struggling. They don't want to talk to their families that they are struggling, that their wife has passed. So we do mailings, telephone calls, in-person visits, even after the patient has passed. We are very accessible to our families after that, after the death. So that that's, that, I, I'm assuming what you said, that, that includes the extended family. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so if they... Anybody, anybody who, and even if they were not even affiliated with St. Francis Hospice, 
anybody in the community is more than welcome to be on our bereavement program. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so they're not, they're, it's not limited to just people that were uh, in the St. Francis program. Mm-hmm. Is, we're coming on the break in a couple minutes. Just a quick therapeutic services. What are those therapeutic services that, that you're offering through hospice? Um, St. Francis hospice does things a little differently. We do not give up hope. If they are wanting to do physical therapy, absolutely. We're going to provide the physical therapy in the home or speech therapy or occupational. We want to give them the chance to have that quality of life forever, how long that is. And our goal is to extend that and and make those services available to them. That's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's just not something you would typically think of. But I, you know, it's, I, I heard a story of a woman who was 96 or 97 years old, and she was doing physical doing physical therapy in her home in mm-hmm. her wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. she was continuing to do it because that's what she wanted to do. Yes. So when you think about it, I guess there, I guess it, it depends on what that person wants. Correct. But again, if that if that if that makes them feel better about where they are and how what's left of their life, that's an important piece of that. Yes, and also it's education again with the families on maybe how to do a wheelchair transfer. And we need a physical therapist to be able to educate them on that. So to get them from the chair to the bed, chair to the... Absolutely. If that is their goal is, you know, I'm tired of being in the bed. I want to get up to a wheelchair and go outside. Well, the physical therapist will go out there and show the family the safe way of transferring them and be able to do those goals that they have. Yeah, they're very basic things, but you, which you don't, you're not, you wouldn't in everyday life, you don't think about that. Mm -hmm. But when you're confronted with the situation, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm watching you nod your head, Larry, as well. But when you're confronted with that situation, that's pretty important to people. Again, we're back to educating the family, which seems to be a huge piece of this. It's the the biggest piece of them all is the education. Very interesting. We come back from the break. We'll continue this conversation. Wrap it up. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network. If you want to learn more, the website is sfmc.net/slash. Home Health Hospice, sfmc.net slash Home Health Hospice. Uh, you can go up there, lots of information, and you can connect with these folks as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by visiting the website healthradio.us, healthradio.us. Hey, you heard, you're listening to this, right? It's pretty interesting. Maybe there's somebody in your church. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's somebody at work. Maybe there's a, a a friend, maybe it's a family member. Maybe you're in a distant part of the country, whatever the case may be. Go to the podcast platform, SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, Apple Play. We're on all of them. Um, you can tell them to listen to the show up there. Uh, we abbreviate the show. It's All the information is there, and it can be extremely helpful to people. It's a lot easier than trying to regurgitate everything you're hearing these experts sit here and talk about. So that, that that's why we suggest you go to that podcast platform. It can be very helpful. In studio with me, um, Larry Dush. He is here, uh, patient care manager here at St. Francis Home Health. Melissa Hale, patient care manager of St. Francis Hospice. Again, we're talking about home health and hospice. That's a topic that we're delving into today. So let's talk a little bit about this 24-7 nurse availability. You've got it both for home health and hospice, Larry? Correct. 
Correct. That is actually a regulatory compliance issue. We oh. have to address that. Um, both home health and hospice have a nurse available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, they can call anytime. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll, for home health, on the home health side, we will manage uh, the questions they have. If it's a medication, we'll kind of talk about the medication. If it's a pain issue, we'll talk about that. We determine whether it's an ER trip or not. We really don't want our patients going to ER. One of the goals for home health is to keep people away from the ER. Um, just because if we can do an intervention to prevent that unnecessary trip to the ER, it's better for the patient. It's better for the healthcare system. Uh, not, not St. Francis, just the whole overall healthcare system. And CMS is really happy with us if we stay like, if we yeah, get them out of the CMS ER. Yes, yes, on those, those ER visits. And, and that's yes. a big deal. Yes, and then hospice, I'll let Melissa kind of talk about hers real quick. Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, <laughs> as well, we are 24-7 nursing. We triage the phone calls. We A lot of the misconceptions or information that is given out to patients and families is that we are in the home 24 hours a day. We are not. We do have a nurse that's available 24-7. We answer the phone calls and then we determine the needs and then uh, go out to the home. Most of the time is what is needed for a hospice. If the families are calling, then they need us and then the nurses do go out in the middle of the night, even at two o'clock in the morning to make sure that the patient's taken care of, but also the family. I would also like to add one thing really quick. The chaplains and the social workers will also go out. So. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> so, so let's go back to that for a minute. So it's two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. um, and uh, mom's terminal mm-hmm. and it doesn't look good and they call um, and they're like, we don't know, but we don't think, we think that this is getting worse. Mm-hmm. At that point, you will actually send a nurse out there and or a chaplain or both, whatever. All the above. All the above. And even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll uh, be on the phone with the family as as they're driving to the home. And then when they get there, they take over and manage the symptoms for the patient. That's remarkable. Larry, let's go back to home health a little differently here. So this this issue of keeping them out of the ER, the readmittance to ER, maybe they've had a broken leg, maybe it's a wound issue, maybe it's some other issue. Um, does that, does that, so you, you're talking to them over the phone. At Sunday at 2 p.m. Whatever the case may be. Are you typically going to do a follow-up visit after that? Or is it necessary? Do you have somebody go out there so, fairly quickly to keep? They think they need to go to ER. You don't want them sitting for two hours waiting in an ER. Correct. Um, and, 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 and So if it's it, something that we can go out and do an intervention for immediately, we'll send a nurse. If, if like, if say this patient has congestive heart failure and they need an extra dose of Lasix and the doctor has given us an order to do the extra dose of Lasix in the home, we can send the home health nurse out immediately and they can give that extra dose of Lasix. And then we would uh, follow up the next day with a phone call and a visit just to make sure that kept them out of the emergency room or out of a life-threatening situation. Um, and if it doesn't work, then we would send them to the ER. If someone calls me and says, I've fallen and I've hit, in my, hit my head and my head is split open, and I am bleeding, not to be overly graphic. No, no, no. That's an ER trip. There's nothing I can do as a home health nurse. I can't go out there and suture their head. No. So <laughs> we would send someone like that to the ER. Yeah, and, and you're typically, in a case like that, you're going to send out an ambulance and a, and a medical team to get them transported. Correct. And, and determine. And maybe it's not something that's that obvious. Maybe it's something where they fell, and you don't know if they broke their hip. Correct. Okay, or, or re-injured themselves. Maybe they've got a history of that. Yes. You know, it's because oftentimes as people age, that falling thing becomes a real, you're both shaking your head, yes. That becomes a really big issue. And if the family can't determine whether or not, then – 
then one 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 thing I want to clarify: if you're on home health, it does not mean we don't let you go to the ER. I don't want that to get message to get through this somehow. No, if if the person calls me and they say I'm having chest pain, I'm going to the emergency room. We say okay, we'll make a note in the chart. I'll have a nurse call you in the morning to follow up to make sure you're doing okay. That's how that works. So it's not like you can't go to the ER. Let it, let me send a nurse. I don't want anybody to feel that. But way. if they don't, but but if you if there's something you can take care of, it, they don't have to. Exactly all right. The way to the ER exactly and right. And sit there and wait, you know, for es- an hour. Especially go- since COVID, you know, the thing right. to think about is you get out there and the, and you sit in the ER and you don't know if someone's sitting next to you has COVID or not. So a lot of these older patients that we see. Um, they want to stay home and they want us to come and see them. And that's one of the huge benefits of having that home health nurse available. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because even in the hospice situation, uh, Melissa, I I think, I I don't know, I'm guessing statistically, the vast majority of people would much prefer to stay home. Am I correct in that? And that's the whole whole point is to keep them at home. Um, Let us be your medical team. Let the medical come to you instead of you going to the medical. And that is the whole philosophy of hospice is that we bring the medical team to you in your own home. Yeah, and, and again, you know, you're bringing it to their home, but in the interaction with the family uh, and giving that family that sense of security mm-hmm. around what's going on, mm-hmm. it's a difficult time. It's, sure. I've been through this four times. Yeah. It's, yeah, two of which ended, you know, ended their lives in our home. Mm-hmm. The other two ended their lives in, 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 our, in my brother and sister's home. But the point is, it's a very difficult time for people to deal with that. And having this level of care in this level of service, whether it's end of life or whether it's just somebody like my wife fell and broke her leg, right. um, we had to set up the bed. We had a three-story house at the time. We had to set the bed the bed up outside in the sunroom because she couldn't go up and down steps, and it was right. remarkable. Yes. Thank you both for doing this. I think this really helped a lot of people today, and I think it's important for people to get an understanding of how, this, how all this works because a lot of families are going to face this issue as time goes on. We appreciate you both. If you want information here in Southeast Missouri, the website is sfmc.net slash home health hospice. That's sfmc.net slash home health hospice. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this message from Dr. Martin Luther King. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish together as fools. Truer words were never spoken. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America.